today I've entitled this Call to be Holy, Holy. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now you know where I got the title. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every chapter of 1 Thessalonians ends talking about the rapture of the church, the coming of Christ. Every single chapter does that. I think God wants us to know something. Now people look at verse 23 and they look at that and they say, well, immediately a lot of people want to go over to the idea of getting saved. Now verse 23 is not talking about getting saved. Verse 23 is talking about the Christian life. This verse is not talking about going to heaven or even staying saved, all right? If you are saved, you're, stay, you're going to stay saved because God only saves one way, forever, okay? If you're not saved forever, you're not saved at all, according to Scripture. It emphasizes here in verse 23, it emphasizes spiritual growth in the Christian life. It emphasizes the present characteristic of sanctification, okay? You notice he says, in the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly or completely. Sanctify you wholly or completely. What does it mean to sanctify? Well, the word sanctify means to set apart, to be made clean, to be made pure, to consecrate something, to set apart from that which is evil. Now, when we get saved, God sets us apart to himself. He takes us unto himself. He sets us apart. And we are saved out of the world into Christ. Sanctification is one of the most important and all-encompassing words in all of the Bible. Now listen carefully. The word holy in the Bible, H-O-L-Y. The word sanctify. The word sanctification. The word pure. The word purify. The word saint. All of them are related and all of them have the same root word in the Greek. It's the word hagias. So when you see these concepts, they're all related and they're all talking about the same thing. And yet sanctification is a word that there is a great deal of confusion about. See, because here's the truth of it. When you get saved, you have been sanctified. As you live the Christian life, you are being sanctified. And one day we will be completely sanctified when we are in the presence of Christ. Vine's Expository Dictionary states this. Getting back to the idea of getting saved, the the initial sanctification, all right? Quote, thus sainthood or sanctification is not an attainment. It is the state into which God in grace calls sinful men and in which they begin their course as Christians. They begin their course as Christians, unquote. So let's look at some things having to do with this. The first is this. Sanctification begins the moment we trust Christ. This is what Vines was getting at. We are set apart to God. We are made pure and holy in the eyes of God. I am cleansed of all my sin in the eyes of eternity. I am pure. That's why, folks, that's one reason when you get saved, you can't ever be lost again. Why? Because all your sins are gone. There's nothing to punish you for. There's nothing to condemn you for. All your sins have been taken care of. They're under the blood of Christ. Past, present, and future. 
we become saints. Again, that word under there, saint, sanctify, it's all related. We become saints. In light of eternity, we are blameless. We are blameless in light of eternity. The moment we trust in Christ, we have that already. That is our position in Christ. That cannot change once you have it. Now you might say, well, again, how do you, how do you get that? Do you, do you make a contract with God? Do you promise you're going to behave? That you're going to do this, you're going to do that? No, 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 no. It all has to do with, see, getting into the family of God all has to do with what Jesus did for us. All right, look up here, this hand representing you and me. I'm going to let my wallet, let's pretend this is sin, okay? Here we are. We are sinners. There's no pretending in that. God loves us. God hates our sin. Our sin separates us from God. You cannot go to heaven with even one sin. All your sins got to be gone. So that basically disqualifies all of us seeing we are sinners. Not only that, but God says your sin has to be paid for. The wages of sin being death. We would have to die physically and be separated from God forever in hell if we were to pay for our own sin. Now, religion comes along and says, oh, the way you take care of that, okay, you've sinned against God, but what you do is you live a good life now, do good works, go to church every week, get baptized, give money, try to keep the commandments, try to live a clean life, try to be pure, try to live a pure life, stay away from evil things. You know, uh, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, you know, that kind of thing. God will look at you and he'll say, well, boy, you're really behaving. Yeah, okay, I'll let you in. No, no. Sin has to be gone. You don't cover your sin with good works and think you're going to get to heaven. Your sin has to be gone. How are we going to get rid of it? The only payment is death. The only payment is death. So if I die with my sin, I'm going to be lost forever. I'm helpless. What am I going to do? This is the beauty of the, of the word of God. This is the message of the Bible. Because God loves us so much, hates our sin, he says, I'm going to take on flesh myself. God sent his only begotten son, God the son, his name was Jesus, sinless. And when Jesus came into the world, he went to the cross. You just heard it beautifully sung this morning by Colleen. He went to the cross and he took my sin, all of it, upon himself. He made the payment for all of my sin, leaving me nothing left to pay for. He died and was buried and rose from the grave. And the Bible says, if I will simply put my faith in him that he did that for me, he will save me forever. He will sanctify me, set me apart unto himself. I am pure in the eyes of God in light of eternity. Simply by trusting in Christ that he made that payment for me, he gives me in return everlasting life as a gift, as a gift. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I know there are people who say, well, you get, you get into the family by believing in Christ, but you have to do a life of good works if you're going to stay saved. Well, then it's based on your faithfulness, friend. That's works. Paul said, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Listen, if you can't save yourself to begin with, why do you think you can keep yourself saved? You can't keep yourself saved. No, it is God who keeps us saved. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. See, here's the truth of it. If this was me and this is the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Well, let's do it the other way. If this is me and this is the Lord Jesus Christ, when I trusted him as my savior, I took him as my savior and he saved me. Okay, he took me as his child. Now, when I sin, and I will sin, I'm not proud of it, but it's true. But when I sin, it's, it's every time you sin, it's rebellion. It's rebellion towards God. There are Christians who are living in a backslidden state today. In a sense, they've let go. But God never lets go. We are in his hand. We are safe and secure in Christ. And so when we trust Christ the Savior, we have been sanctified according to Hebrews chapter 10. All right? That is a positional sanctification in light of eternity. We have been set apart by God. We've been made pure. We've been made holy. We are his child now. And the Bible actually calls us, those of us who are saved, the Bible says a person who is saved is a saint. A saint. No church has the right to make a person a saint. That's God's business. Only God does that. But the beauty of it is this. There's not a person on the planet who can't be a saint. Well, don't they have to live their whole lives to find out? No, because that would be basing your salvation on your works. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. By grace, God's unmerited favor, through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Christ the Savior, that moment you are a saint, according to what the Bible teaches. By the way, we won't cover the scriptures, but 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 and 2 make it abundantly clear. So once we've trusted Christ, number two, once we are saved, we move into practical or progressive sanctification. Sanctification is what the Christian life is all about. You might say, well, wait a minute. I thought you said I was made pure and holy. Yes, in light of eternity. But if you're honest with yourself, you know that you don't live every day being pure and holy. Now, God wants us to, but we fail because we're still sinners. We're still sinners. The Lord begins working in our lives to make us like Christ in our character. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is talking about. It's talking about the Christian life from the time we get saved to the time we see the Lord Jesus Christ. That period in between, it's a Christian life verse. It's not a going to heaven verse. The Lord begins working in our lives to make us like Christ in our character. It is the process of bringing our condition, the way we are every day, into harmony with our position in Christ. It is true spiritual growth, but folks, it's not automatic. We have to cooperate with God for this to take place. Now look up here. This is our position in Christ. It is perfect. Do we understand? However, our condition... You know, you can get saved and you have this perfect position in Christ. But the way your life is when you get saved may be totally deplorable. You might say, well, boy, my life is a mess. Yeah, but if you trusted Christ, you've got a perfect standing with Christ. But here's the point, folks. Here's our perfect standing. What God wants us to do as we go through the Christian life, he wants us to grow and where our condition is getting closer to our position. In other words, if I am holy and pure and righteous in the eyes of God, God wants me to be growing in a direction to where I'm becoming more holy, pure, and righteous in my lifestyle, in my character. That's the point of verse 23. And that's the present tense of sanctification. It's not automatic, though. 
Hold your place here and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. You don't hear a lot about this today, but it's something we need to hear about. And let me, let me give you a statement uh, I want you to ponder. More lost people have an understanding of how Christians should be living than most Christians today. When they hear of Christians doing criminal things, doing, uh, living in a nasty way, living in a perverted way, doing all the things that the lost world does, when they have, hear of Christians doing that, they'll say things like, well, they're hypocrites. Now that's interesting. Listen, listen to me. Them saying that we're hypocrites if we live in a wrong way tells me that they understand the Bible tells us to live in a right way. You see what I'm saying? If a lost person understands that a Christian who's not living according to the principles of God's word is a hypocrite, they understand we are not living according to the principles we ought to be living according to. And yet, you know what happens today? Christians say, well, that's grace living. No, that's not grace living. It's disgraceful living. 1 Peter chapter 1, folks, this is still in the Bible. It says in 1 Peter 1 verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, referring to God, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now the King James word conversation means more than just our talk. It means the way we live our lives, the manner of life in which we live. Verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy as I for I am holy. This is what the word of God says. By the way, that's a quote from the Old Testament. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God is saying to his children, those of us who have trusted Christ, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. And you might say, well, how in the world? I've had Christians tell me, I can't be like God. Well, you know what? We can be like God. We'll never be perfect, but we can be like God as we walk by faith as we trust in him and obey his word, yes, we can be like God. Walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We can be like God. See, what a foreign concept this is for many believers today who see nothing wrong with hanging out in bars, getting drunk, having sex outside of marriage, being involved with pornography, being involved with drugs, listening to and watching wicked things, either hearing it through our hearing or watching it on media. And Christians don't see anything wrong with it. God does. God says we ought not be doing that. Well, you say that to some Christians. Listen, I know of one church had a bunch of people leave recently because the pastor took a stand on biblical living. He was preaching the word of God. He was preaching biblical sanctification for the believers. Okay, and all these people. He's a legalist. This, that. He had one guy say, come to him. He says, I don't, he says, it doesn't bother. I don't feel convicted one bit about, this guy goes and he hangs out in bars. He's a believer. He says, I don't feel convicted about that one bit. Well, so that makes it right? All it shows is how you've had your conscience seared with a hot iron. You've become insensitive to sin. That's right. Okay? You know, there are people, well, that's legalism. That's not legalism, friend. Let me ask, listen, take this up with God. Take this up with God. Fornication, still fornication. Sex outside of marriage is still sex outside of marriage. It is a sin. It is wrong. Okay? These other things, they're sins. 
They're wrong. Why? Because they violate the character of our Father that he's called us to. See, the problem is these believers who are this way, they are basically living self-absorbed lives. The only thing that matters to them is what they want, what they want to do. And if anybody comes and says, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that, all of a sudden, you're a legalist, you're a legalist, you're a legalist. Well, let me tell you something, friend. If I'm telling you what the Bible says, then God must be a legalist. What does that even mean? People don't even know what the You're a legalist. Define that for me. Huh? Where'd you get that? Let me tell you what a legalist is. Legalism is self-righteousness. That's as simple. If you took the whole, all that could be said about it, it is self-righteousness. It's you either thinking you can earn your way to heaven by your good works, by what you do, or it's somebody who thinks they're righteous in themselves, okay? That they think they're special and they're better than somebody else. Self-righteous people, legalists think they're better than other people. Their faith is in themselves, either to get them to heaven or to live the Christian life. That's a legalist. That's a legalist. Legalism means you, you have laws that you think make you righteous. No, no law makes you righteous. God makes you righteous, the proper view of Christianity is this. Jesus is the one who gets us to heaven and Jesus is the one who empowers us to live the Christian life through the Holy Spirit. Now, if, I'm, if I have the mentality, you know, I walk in church and I think, oh, I'm better than that person and I'm better than that one and I'm better than them because I don't do this or I don't do that or, well, I would never. All, all these different things, you know, looking and judging and all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. You know what? Be more concerned about yourself being right. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care about straying brothers or, or, or backsliding people. Or, no, it doesn't mean that. What it means, though, is this. How in the world have we gotten to the point in the body of Christ to where we argue about what God says clearly? Okay? It's amazing. It's amazing. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. See, folks, if we are not living a separated life, we don't have power in our lives as Christians. We don't have the boldness. We don't have the enthusiasm. We're not zealous for Christ. Why? Because sin is dulling us down. It's putting out the fire. Last week we talked about don't quench the spirit. Don't put out the fire. What puts out the fire? Quenching the spirit is a serious thing. The Holy Spirit wants us excited and zealous for him in living for Christ. When we're involved in that which is wicked, it puts out the fire to where we're not excited any longer. 1 Thessalonians 4.2, For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. This is the will of God, that you should abstain from fornication. Where's the argument? Why is there an argument today on that? That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, that's passion of lust, even as the Gentiles which know not God. You notice that? It says, listen, you guys, we ought to be living a different life as believers, not like those who don't even know the Lord. Isn't that simple? It's simple. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Well, I don't want to hear about this. I just want to hear about that God loves me and he thinks the world of me and he came to die for me 
And you know what? And that, that is all true, but you're not supposed to stop there. God didn't save us just to keep us out of hell. He saved us ultimately to bring glory to himself. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It isn't whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, just enjoy it because you're saved. And you can't go to hell. No, everything we do is to bring glory to God. That's why he saved us. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. How are we supposed to live? Can you help me with that? Let's say it. Soberly, righteously, and godly. So why are we arguing about these sinful things? God has saved us so that we would live soberly, righteously, and godly, and looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, save us, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, unique people of his own, zealous of good works. Okay, let's go back to verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Sue and I were talking last night and I said, I wish I knew. Let me say this, folks. This antinomian, saved by grace, live any way you want mentality I was unaware how prevalent this was until I came to Minnesota. I don't know what it is up here, folks. I don't know what it is. It's not a prejudice, okay? I love Minnesota. I love you. It's not an issue. I just never ran into this. I was flabbergasted that Christians saw nothing wrong with viewing pornography openly and and just almost bragging about it. It It's not a big deal of of living in sin and doing evil things, that there's nothing wrong with that. I was flabbergasted. I'm thinking, we were talking last night, I said, where did they pick up this virus that is so contrary to the teachings of Scripture? Where did it come from? What is being taught that is... Are, they, are the pastors actually teaching the people? Listen, just get saved and then do whatever you want. It's okay. Is that what they're teaching? I know there are people who listen to us, different parts of the country who may watch. You might say, and you've got to be kidding. It can't be as bad as what you're saying. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And can I tell you this, folks? The greatest persecution a church like ours will ever receive are from believers who are living carnal lives. It's not from the lost. It's from believers who are living carnal lives. It's the greatest persecution. It's like, what is wrong with this picture? We ought to be all striving by the grace of God to live lives that honor Christ. And there ought to be a sweet harmony and love going in the same direction And listen, I've spent plenty of times in years past thinking, is it us? Is it me? Is it this? Is it that? And all I can do is go back to the word of God and say, no, it's right here. This is how it's supposed to be. Number three, the Lord has promised to continue to work in our lives and bring us to maturity, but we must cooperate with him. You see it in verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. It's talking about the life. 
And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Now, the word preserve means to guard from personal loss or injury. It doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. That's not the point. That our lives would be preserved, that they would not end in destruction. Verse 24, faithful is he that called you who also will do it. God is going to keep working in our lives to bring us to maturity. Now, unfortunately, folks, it's kind of like this. Here's the Holy Spirit. He's got a hold of us, and he's saying, let's go, let's go. I want to I bring you to maturity. I want to purify your life. I want you to become more mature. And there are Christians who are kicking and screaming all the way. I know there are people who say, well, they were never saved then to begin with. No, these are saved people. Many of them were people who were living for Christ at one point in their lives. But now today are doing virtually nothing. See, we can count on the Lord to guard us as we walk with him. If we walk with him, we will not fall away and experience a ruined life. God does not take pleasure when his children have ruined lives. He weeps. The Bible says he's grieved by that. Turn with me to, hold your place again. Turn with me to Philippians chapter one. We see the same concept here in Philippians one. Philippians one in verse six, it says this. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, that's salvation, that's justification, it's when you first get saved, will perform it. He's going to keep doing the good work in you. That's sanctification, that's the Christian life. Until the day of Jesus Christ, that's the rapture, that's glorification. So when a person gets saved, they're in the family, God says, okay, I'm going to start working in your life to make you more like my son in the way your life is, and I'm going to keep doing that until you see Jesus. That's God's pledge to us. Now again, this doesn't mean, see that, every Christian's going to automatically serve the Lord. No, that would be contradictory to so much of what we see in Scripture. What do you do with, with uh, this, the sin unto death then that we've seen in 1 John chapter 5? By what means does the Lord accomplish his work in us? Well, Many ways, but the biggest way is by our receiving and then obeying the word of God. Let me show that to you. Go with me to John chapter 17. Say, oh, to be like, you know, there's, there's hymns. We owe to be like Christ. It's kind of one of those interesting things that occasionally comes to my mind. It hasn't come to my mind in a while, but occasionally it does, like just now, on this occasion. People don't know what to do with a church like this, Okay? Because there are people who are, boy, you know what? I, I, just, I, just, uh, I just love where, where Northland stands on the gospel and Pastor Kakuza, you know, what he, what he says about salvation. It's all by grace. It's not by works and, and all this. And there are people who hear our message and once you're saved, you're saved forever. And they say, man, that, that, that place is preaching. License the sin. That's what they're preaching. License the sin. They're telling people it's, it's okay to go live out in sin. And then a message like this morning where I'm talking about how we ought to be living for Christ and we ought to be living godly lives and holy lives. And then there's Christians who are looking at it and saying, they're legalists over there. That place is legalistic. They believe in works. Well, yeah, I kind of laugh too because it's like, you know what? We, might, we must be at the right place. We're getting it from both sides. We are saved by great, listen, here it is. Here's what we're all about. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's our whole message. You know every message we give in this church, that's basically what it is. Because that's the message of the Bible. That is the message of the Bible in three verses. Those three verses, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. John 17, 17, Jesus praying to the Father and look what he says, sanctify them through thy truth. He's talking about saved people, disciples. They were already sanctified in light of eternity, okay? But he's saying about their lives, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Do you see it? The word of God is what God uses to clean us up as believers to where we become more godly. It is the application of the word in everyday life that changes us. This doesn't take place overnight. The Christian life is a process. Growing is a process. You don't get saved and you're immediately mature. That's why these people say, well, you know, if you're saved, all things pass away, all things become new. You won't, you won't desire the things that you used to, you know, or the, how do they put it? Here's the, here's the one. Well, you'll love the things you used to hate and you'll hate the things you used to love. Well, who will? Well, if you're saved, it's like, you don't give any room for growth in that whatsoever. Very seldom does life change like that overnight. Your position changes from hell to heaven immediately when you trust Christ. But changes in the life? No, that takes time. How long? How cooperative are we? How cooperative are we? That's the issue. Are we going to cooperate or not? In Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The word of God is what cleans us up. Okay? It's how it happens. And it's through learning it and applying it that it takes place. It's not automatic, but it is the will of God. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Few verses here at the end. Look at it. Brethren, pray for us. We need prayer. Would you agree? I need prayer. I had somebody come this morning, okay, praying for you today. All right? Many people will say that from time to time. Praying for you today. Blessing. That's great. Okay? We need that. Pray for us. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Okay, now, let me just say this. What is that? Okay, this is like you when you see news about people overseas and they see each other and they greet each other and they'll, they'll, they'll kiss on the cheek, that kind of a thing. That was a greeting and that's the greeting of the time. Okay, it's not you go up to somebody who's not your spouse and you know, you go down with them. It's not that. Don't even try it. You're asking for trouble. Okay, the Bible says, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That's war. That's war. It's really, it's, the point is show your love to one another as the family of God. That's the point. That's the point. Okay. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Those are great, great verses, okay? Uh, We're going to close over in John chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? We're not going to look at verse 16. John chapter 3. You could possibly be here today and you may think, well, Boy, I don't know. You know, it says I'm kind of feeling guilty. Uh, things you've covered. I mean, I, maybe you have those things in your life. Maybe they're going on. Some of the things that I mentioned. Okay. Let me tell you this, dear friend. If you're involved with alcohol, you should just stop. You should stop. If you're involved with marijuana, you should stop. Or pot or drugs, any drugs, you should stop. We have a wonderful addictions program on Friday night. Now listen, I'm not shaming you if you're involved with these things. I'm just saying God doesn't want you to do them. You ought to stop and you can get help if you can't stop. And there's a problem honestly stated is half solved. Okay? Get help. Don't say, well, I'm just ashamed and I don't want anybody knowing that. Get help. Get help. God wants you to be delivered from things that are addictions in your life. But here's where help starts. It's in trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And in John chapter 3 and verse 36 makes it very clear. It says, he that believeth on the Son, you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He that believeth on the Son hath that moment, is what it's saying, everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son, you don't trust Christ as Savior shall not see life when you die, but the wrath of God abides on him. What does that mean? If you look up here, here we are as sinners. If you trust Christ the Savior, your sins are taken away. If you don't trust Christ the Savior, you're saying, no, I'll take care of that myself. You die, the wrath of God, the fury of God, punishment for your sin will be poured out on you because you haven't trusted Christ. The moment a person dies, if they haven't trusted Christ, they immediately are consumed in the fires of hell. That's what the Bible teaches. I don't even like saying it, but that's what the Bible teaches. How much better to say, you know what? I'm going to accept the gift of eternal life today. I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. And when you do, your sins are all forgiven. You go to heaven. You have everlasting life. When you believe, when you believe, the moment you believe, trust Christ if you haven't done that, would you? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.